Today on the ticker tapes, we hear from Liam, who had to watch her husband Stuart fight for his life after he suffered a sudden cardiac arrest at the wheel of his car. When he came home, I mentally prepared myself that everything was going to be okay, and he came home and it wasn't okay because life didn't go back to normal. And that's when I realised actually you've tried to hold it together for so long yeah. and you've not you've not processed it or you've not dealt with any of this. So I basically had a bit of a breakdown, really. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Sarah Marsh. And on the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Leanne tells me about the impact that night and Stuart's heart health journey has had on the whole family. The struggle she's faced as his wife and for a time carer how she spoke to their children, Sadie and Jude, about what was really going on and how the four of them have rebuilt their lives in the face of so many difficulties. Also, just a quick note to say that when we recorded this episode, Leanne was joining from work, so you may hear a little background noise. Hi, Leanne. Thanks so much for being with us on the Ticker Tapes today. That's all right. I wanted to start off by asking you a bit about how you and Stuart met because it was interesting it was a holiday romance but it went the distance didn't it is that right yeah yeah so we met on a holiday in Spain Stuart was on a boys holiday I was on a girls holiday um just continued came back home thinking oh there won't be any you know nothing further will happen and my sister had given him my telephone number and then that night um he was messaging me and it just kind of evolved really and yeah however many years later still together (laughs) you got married on valentine's day is that right yes we did yeah yeah um i think that was Stuart's idea of being romantic actually (laughs) you never forget you never forget the anniversary do you exactly yeah i think i think that might be another reason behind it as well but um no we um we wanted to get married abroad and the best time of year to do it was sort of between february march april time and then we were just like oh let's let's do valentine's day think we didn't think we'd get the date and yeah it all just fell into place oh that's lovely and am I right in thinking that you're quite different characters? Um, Stuart said to me that you make a good team because you are quite different as people. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I suppose we are, really. He is sports mad. Um, I'm not, as in, like, I don't like to sit and watch football or, honestly, any sport that there is, he would sit and watch it or support, even if it was something like tiddlywinks. He's just, yeah, so competitive as well. Um, and I'm yeah I'm not I'm quite easy going laid back I think really mm-hmm. um, yeah so opposites obviously attract <laughs> can you describe life before first first of March 2022 which was a day that everything changed for you so both you and Stuart have really busy jobs he was working as an HGV driver you work in as a housing officer you've got two young children so running around after them and I think they were 10 and 7 at the time. What was life like for you in the lead, the months leading up to what happened? It was just normal, really, to be honest. You you don't ever think anything would ever happen. So you do. You just get stuck on a treadmill of everyday life, don't you? It's It was a case of, like, work, sort the kids out, dinner, sleep, repeat. We live for the weekends I suppose because you know weekends are precious anyway and you fill them with doing family things yeah Yeah, just plodding along like we all do I think. 
Looking back now, were there any, um, I mean, hindsight's obviously a wonderful thing, but were there any warning signs? Was there anything, had Stuart been under a lot of pressure? I mean, I'm just wondering if looking back now, you could see sort of any indicators of what happened. Yeah, now it's not until after an event you look back and you think of things. We we did the race for life with my cousin and her husband in the summer. And when we were out running and doing walks and things, because Stuart had stopped going to the like he was always a gym bunny. And then as like, the you know, you get married, have children. He wasn't so focused on the gym anymore. He wasn't unfit, but he wasn't as as busy as what he would be normally with the gym so we were like oh conscious we should start doing a bit more together Mm -hmm. so yeah we've been out for runs and sometimes he would say oh I keep getting like a pain you know sort of like down his arm Mm. or a bit of chest pain and we were both like yeah but you know we haven't done much exercise so I was like don't push yourself you've just got to build up to it slowly Um, and we just put it down to that but now I do wonder if that could have been potentially a little warning sign maybe you just don't know do you I mean um, yeah at the time you just explain it away don't you or you just put it down to you've had you're tired or you've had a bad day yeah and to be honest he 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 was tired a lot and again we just put it down to him working long hours doing you know doing his job and yes the tiredness could have been a factor because he would quite often fall asleep on the sofa and I'd be like nudging him when we're like watching a program Mm. he'd be like you're missing you know come on you're missing the last five minutes or I'd be getting frustrated with it yeah and like and now now after everything's happened he doesn't fall asleep on the sofa I mean occasionally like we all do but not to like what he was before it was literally every night yeah so I suppose yeah they're they're things but I just didn't think about it at the time so First of March was the day, the evening that everything changed. First of March, yeah. twenty twenty-two. What do you remember about that evening? My right, Stuart had taken Sadie's football training, and Gigi used to yeah. go watch, and he he was a coach as well. So he was yeah. bringing them back from the football training, and you were in the bath. And the yeah. first you realised that something terrible had happened was you could hear the children screaming. Is that right? Yeah, so normally on a Tuesday, he does football training and I go to a legs, bums and tums class. And for some reason that evening, when I came home from work, I just I said to him, I was like, I just don't feel like going tonight. I don't know. I don't know why. I said, I just, you know, but then I feel guilty. And he turned around to me and I remember it vividly. He's like, why don't you just go for a run by yourself? And then come back and have a bath. So I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go for a run by myself, have a bit of headspace. So I did that and was in the bath. And yeah, it was sort of time was getting on. And I remember thinking, oh, they'll be back shortly. Oh, I'll, I'll get out in a minute. Mm. Oh, five, five more minutes in the bath. And then, yeah, I could just hear the most high-pitched, horrific sound from outside. Like, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, that sound. And um, someone was just hammering on the door. So I jumped out the bath, just pulled a dressing gown on, flew down the stairs, like nearly falling down. And I couldn't I couldn't open the door because I'd locked it from the inside, mm. which I don't always do. But because I was on my own in the back, yeah. I thought I'd lock it. Anyway, my hands were shaking and I was trying to get the key. And anyway, I, I did it. And I, I, initially at first, I thought it was this kid's being silly. And I was ready to like really go for them and be like, why on earth? You know, what are you doing? What, you know, stop being so silly, get in the house sort of thing. And yeah, it was just awful. They were, Jude was, yeah, making this horrible sound. Sorry. And um yeah, and then, yeah, it's all just a bit of a blur, really. I, they were screaming, and I, I looked at him in the car, 
and then I just ran to yeah get get some help because you know I did, you're in panic mode yeah. aren't you and I was like do do I go and get my phone which I should have done but I yeah I was just didn't know what to do so no. looking back it must almost seem like a bit of out of body experience that almost mm. like it was a blur or it was happening to somebody else yeah and... yeah actually I think everything went in slow motion but obviously it wasn't it was very very quick yeah. so Jude undid the seatbelt and I remember going over to Stu and he wasn't breathing and I just froze you know I didn't even think to help him I just I ran off yeah. to try and you know and I was banging on the neighbor's door but in the meantime, when the, the neighbours had heard screaming, um, a neighbour had come out and her husband and two of them were sort of the first on the scene. Mm. And I was shouting, he's not breathing, he's not breathing. And they, you know, obviously this all happened very quickly, but to me it, still, it felt like forever. Mm. And I remember shouting, like, get him out of the car, get him out of the car. And they just dragged him out of the car. Yeah like literally threw him on the floor yeah. and um yeah she knew what to do she started doing cpr on him and i yeah i i was running up and down the street screaming um someone came down was driving down i don't know if it's a taxi driver uh-huh. and i remember running over because he'd got a phone in his hand and i was like ring ring 999 but someone else had won 999 so they must have been being spoken to yeah and I remember having the emergency services on the phone they were asking me all these questions and I was getting so irate with them because I wouldn't answer the questions I just kept shouting he's not breathing he's not Mm. breathing yeah um you know and then they were asking the address and I suppose I calmed down a little bit then and then I left that emergency call and I just ran over to Stuart and another neighbour had come out then and two two ladies were doing CPR on him um, he had literally been about to back the car onto your drive. Yeah. And so yeah. He, 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 it was literally at the wheel of the car that this had happened. Yes. And yeah. it, it just so happened that two of your neighbours um, mm. worked in healthcare and were trained in CPR. So they were between them. Is that right? They were trying to, to keep yeah, them? Yeah, they, they were. Yeah, it was amazing. Because one of them is a, um, I think she's a nurse, sort of like a community yeah. district nurse type role. And she'd had a refresher course on um, CPR literally a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, that amazing. <laughs> after speaking to them afterwards, they both said they were just both in the zone, like didn't have time to think about anything. They just did what what came to them. Yeah. And they were like literally taking it in turns because when one tired, you know, you forget how, how hard work it is to breathe yeah you know, you're, you're pumping their chest aren't you yeah they were taking it in turns and then I think it was the first responder that turned up first uh-huh. and then they started getting the um the shock yeah you know, the, the defibrillator yeah yeah, yeah yeah um and there was medical equipment everywhere yeah like a scene out of a film or something isn't it yes. just kind of yeah. people everywhere and panic and yeah something yeah. you never want to find yourself in I remember you saying to me that they were actually working on him outside your house for so long that there's a patch of tarmac that's actually worn away where he was lying yeah it's like this awful sort of daily reminder yeah I mean the whole thing went on oh it was for ages I think I don't think we actually left in the end to go to Pembury Hospital till about about half 10 11 o'clock at night right and this this event had all sort of started from about eight o'clock oh wow so yeah it was yeah, I mean, they kept him in the back of the ambulance for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I never truly know what happened in the back of the, the ambulance because they wanted to take, they were trying to get me away. And I personally, I think 
they were possibly preparing for the worst. Yeah. Um, but then they did, they eventually let me go in and, you know, because they, they didn't know what they were doing at, at one point, whether he was going to go to King's. So they were talking about airlifting him. Uh-huh. They were talking about putting, putting him in, like putting him to sleep. Yeah. Because I think at one point they didn't realise it was anything to do with his heart. They were thinking it might have been a neurological condition or they just didn't. They, I suppose they go to a scene blank, don't they? They have no idea what's happened. Yeah. And they kept they kept asking me about drugs. I think they initially thought he may have taken something. Oh, I was wow. like, no, you know, he doesn't take any drugs. Like, he doesn't even drink. <laughs> like, yeah. Just know, the shock but, of it. Uh, just Because that's the thing with a sudden cardiac arrest is that yeah. it can happen to anyone at any time, anywhere. at any age, anywhere. Yeah. And... Yeah it's literally completely out of the blue like a bolt from the blue isn't it so yeah it's I mean it's a it's it's a miracle that he was where he was because if it had happened on the main road yeah. that he has to drive along it, and it's a busy main road nobody would have really stopped to get out of the car it would have been a long time before someone eventually because people would have just tooted their horns and oh. driven around so we're so lucky that it happened where it happened, really. Yeah, absolutely. So he was blue lighted to hospital, um, yeah. and you obviously went with him, and someone stayed with the children. Yeah, neighbour. And um, and I remember you saying that the next few days were a bit of a blur as well. You had to go mm. through this awful forty eight hour period where they'd done um, tests to see if there was any brain damage, and you didn't know whether there had been brain damage. So you're waiting to find the results of that. And then when Stuart came round, he yeah. was delirious and you kept having to explain to him what, you know, as much as you knew what had happened. So yeah. you're there trying to hold it together, Leanne, mm-hmm. at the hospital, also thinking about the children and all the practical realities that come yeah, with... life, yeah. yeah. How, how did you cope? I don't think I did, really, to be honest. I think I just went into autopilot and was thinking of silly things... And I was constantly trying to ring his work because I thought, you know, they'll be wondering where he is. Mm. And I just I just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. I think I missed call someone from his work about 15 times. Oh, wow. Which, you know, at stupid o'clock in the morning, because he used to go to work really early. Yeah. He'd go in at like five o'clock in the morning. Um, and I thought, you know, I don't want them to, to think he's not, you know, why is he not come to work? That's out of, yeah. you know, out of character for sure. And yeah, and I just kept thinking about the kids and I kept thinking, I've got to tell these people. And yeah, you, you just think of, of strange things. I yeah. just, yeah, I was just sat next to him really the whole time and he'd come in and out of sleep. He he didn't want to go to sleep, but he was he obviously needed to go to sleep to try and let his brain recover. Yeah. But again, he's, he's quite a stubborn, strong man. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. he was just talk, talking to rubbish, really. So... <laughs> Yeah, must have been such a strange time. And he was in hospital for eight weeks in total and he was Mm. transferred to King's College Hospital after a few weeks. And then he had had major heart surgery about three weeks after the SCA had happened. And I remember him telling me that they didn't know the full extent of the damage to his heart until they opened him up. And he ended up having quintuple bypass surgery. He had a ruptured aortic valve. He, yeah. and, and he was in surgery at that point for nine and a half hours. And he then went on to have another further two hour operation to have an ICD fitted. Yeah. I mean, when someone you love is in theatre for almost 10 hours, I can't imagine what that was like. I mean, how did you cope on that day? Oh, no. Well, I went and stayed up at King's the night before. 
So I, I went up there and saw Stuart that evening oh. and then I got a cab from King's back to the hotel. And, yeah, it was awful because you know he's in the best hands and yeah. you know that they know what they're doing, but there's still that bit of you that thinks, yeah. you know, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? But, yeah, I just, yeah, had the night there and then I just went to the hospital the next day and I just felt I had to be in King's the whole day. So yeah. I, I had a really good friend who actually came up to London and didn't tell me, she just arrived. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, which was lovely and she met me. She was like, we'll go and get some food, we'll go for a walk. And I was like, I'm not hungry, I don't want to drink. And she was like, no, you've got to eat, you've got to drink. And um, when I had some food and then we walked around the park for ages yeah. and I just kept sitting on a bench and checking my watch and, yeah, and then I just went back to the hospital and we just hung around all day. And then I kept ringing to say, is he out? And they were like, no, they'll ring you, they'll ring you. And I, I thought, oh, I'm just going to ring one last time. And anyway, just as I was wrong, he'd just gone into like the, I think it's like the intensive care mm-hmm. bit, like where they've literally just had the op. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> they let me go in for literally about five minutes and he was still hooked up. So he was, you know, still unconscious yeah. with all the breathing stuff and all the tubes. <clears throat> yeah, but they were really nice. And I said, what have you done to him? And and. I sort of started looking at his chest, like moving the covers. Mm. And the, the gentleman was lovely. He was like, we've done this. There's a cut here. There's a cut here. And it showed me his leg. And, you know, and yeah, they, they were lovely. I just, yeah, held his hand and had a chat. And then I went, yeah, then I caught the home, um, caught the train back home yeah. to the back to the kids. God, the relief you must have felt, though, that night. Mm. Is, yeah. It, it, yeah, I was it's still emo- yeah. obviously it's still emotional it's just because there is yeah. a, there's always a small chance with those surgeries that I mean the vast vast majority of people come through but there is that yeah. chance isn't there with heart surgery you just don't know yeah and that's what you know they tell you all of that before you've got to sign all the paperwork they're very upfront and honest about everything yeah um Stuart didn't want to hear about anything he found that really difficult Whereas I wanted to know the ins and outs of everything. Like, what's the recovery? What are you yeah. going to do to him? Where do you take that vein from? Mm-hmm. And I think he wanted to block it out. didn't want to know. But, yeah, I, I just was like, no, I need to know. I want to know all the facts. Yeah. Um, so but it was good, though, because then later on, when he asked questions, I could tell him yeah. because he hadn't wanted to, like, process it at that time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. later down the line, yeah, we had those conversations. Having that knowledge, I'm the same. I think having that knowledge is helpful because you feel, although you're not, but it gives you, you feel that you have a bit more control maybe or you yes. understand. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was in hospital for two months in total and you, during that time, were juggling everything, work, children, visiting him, yeah. other family. Yeah. Um, yeah. You weren't sleeping. I know you said you, you were literally getting about two hours sleep a night at this point because the kids weren't sleeping. It must have been exhausting. It's obviously something that a lot of people go through when a loved one has heart health surgery or is in hospital for a protracted period of time. But maybe something we don't talk about enough, the pressure that that puts on the loved ones at home. I mean, how how did you cope during that two-month period? Again, I think it was just autopilot. I don't think emotionally I didn't cope. I just blocked everything out, I think. And just focused on Stuart and focused on the children. They were my priority. And I had I had some really good support from friends. Mm. Um, my cousin was fantastic. She yeah. came and stayed with me for a while and looked after the children. Yeah, it, it was hard work. I'm not going to lie. It was hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, do you know what? It's not until after mm. that you look back and you think, wow, I did that. I can't believe I did that. Yeah. And then when Stuart came home, 
it was it became even harder in a way didn't it because he couldn't do obviously anything you couldn't so you were doing everything so you were physically caring for him um on top of everything else and that had a really big impact on your mental health is that is that fair to say I mean how did you what what happened when he got home how did you cope at that point Well, I think the whole time he was in hospital, I sort of was in that autopilot mode. And also I kept kept putting to the back of my mind that everything will be okay when Stuart comes home. That's that's our end result and that's what we're focused on. And that's what the kids would ask me every day. When's dad coming home? How much longer? Why is he not home yet? And we had all the setbacks with him having like an infection in hospital and he caught COVID. And then we didn't know about having the ICD fitted. That that was a very late thing that was just thrown upon us. Um, we understand the reasons why now, but at the time it was like as if someone was dealing as another bad blow. Like, yeah. But when he came home, I, I I mentally prepared myself that everything was going to be okay, and he came home and it wasn't okay because life didn't go back to normal. And that's when I realised actually you've tried to hold it together for so long yeah. and you've not you've not processed it or you've not dealt with any of this. So I basically had a bit of a breakdown really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I couldn't stop crying. I didn't want to go out of the house. Um, yeah, I just didn't want to do anything that that wasn't for me. So I um, spoke to people and had some counselling, started taking some antidepressants. And it, it took a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I, yeah, just slowly it came back together, really. Me and Stuart were together all the time. You know, we had friends and family, but... It's difficult because they're they're only on the outside. They don't know really what happens inside in, in your four walls and mm. what you've been through. Yeah. And we had a lot a lot of things to discuss as well about our life and what we'd been through. Because he, when he was in hospital, I couldn't tell him how, how upset I was or how upset the children were because yeah, he'd be upset. And you know he, we'd got to focus on on him getting better and, and getting the operation. Mm. So yeah, when when we came home, it was sort of like all fresh. So we had to re- relive it again, which yeah. sounds awful, but it makes complete sense. And almost like you were learning a new way to be as a family, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. 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 Massively. Yeah. I mean, he, he came home, and Stuart's not really very emotional, or wouldn't express or show, you know. But he came home, and he just couldn't stop crying. And then because he was crying, the children were crying and it was just, but we just had to get it all out, I think, because it had been built up for so long of eight weeks of, you know, hmm. of pressure that it, it, it all just came out when he came, got home. And it was good. We, we needed to do that to, yeah. to move on and, yeah. and process what, what we'd been through. Yeah, absolutely. So. And you'd been through such a huge amount. And you mentioned, obviously, Sadie and Jude um, and the massive impact that this had on them. Hmm. I know yeah. you've said to me before that your policy was to try and be as honest as you could be, obviously in an age-appropriate yeah. way yeah. from the start. Yeah. So how did you approach speaking to them about it? What did you tell them about what was going on? Um, I just I mean, initially when he was at, pet, at the first hospital, we didn't really know. And mm. to be completely truthful with you, I remember thinking when one of the doctors came through and they sort of said, oh, I think you'll be with us for a little while. And I remember thinking, no, he won't. He'll be home by, like, Saturday. Yeah. Don't be so stupid. Like, he's got, you know, the kids have got swimming lessons. He's, we're, we're too busy for this, <laughs> you know. And then each day went by and I thought, this this is more serious than what I'm 
led to believe Leanne yeah and then I I had a an appointment with one of the cardiac nurses there mm. and she was lovely and I remember saying to her like they're saying all these things I, I don't understand it what's going to happen yeah. and she was saying well it might be this it might be that we don't know he's got to have these more tests um so I was like oh okay and then I thought well I'll just go home and explain to the children we don't know what's happening yet mm. his heart's not working properly Uh and we think he might need an operation Uh when I know I'll tell you and you'll be the first people to know nobody else just you so you know I think that made them feel involved and and, and important really yeah yeah it's important Um, that they felt part of what was going on and part of the conversation and that that obviously really worked for you um yeah and the other thing I thought that was interesting is that you've said that obviously caring for Stuart as you were and keeping everything else going was also the worry that you had about the day-to-day practical realities of how you know paying the bills because um Stuart because he was an HGV driver and because he'd had a son cardiac arrest he was gonna he wouldn't be able to continue with that license so he at some point was gonna have to think about Mm, what what job he was gonna do and 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 just the practical realities of paying the bills and getting everything done I mean that's probably something else that people don't talk about but that was really hard for you wasn't it yeah and we don't talk about it do we no. we just try again I probably buried my head in the sand a little bit and was thinking oh it won't happen and I, I, I think both of us genuinely didn't think that he would lose the HGV license mm-hmm. um even up until the day of him having the operation of having the ICD fitted. Yeah. We were still both a little bit in denial, I think. Okay. And then when I did some research and realised that you can't have a HGV licence and have a DFib fitted, mm. and again, and I went to anger mode of like, why is that like so unfair? And, you know, what are we going to do? Our, our whole life is going to change because our income, you know, we can't... Yeah. You know, you live to your means, do Of course, you? of course you do, yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, that, that was hard to, to process that and and think about those things. But, yeah, I, cu- I couldn't think about things like that too much either because then I'd get even more depressed. So I just thought I have to take each day as it comes and not worry about next week or next month because I didn't need that stress then. No. I just, you know, and that, that, I think that was my way of dealing with it. If I thought too far ahead, yeah. then I would... Yeah, yeah, I was terrible. And and I did keep thinking too far ahead at first. And then I learned, you can't do that anymore, Leanne. You've got to just do 24 hours and then the next 24 hours. And it it did, it helped helped me a lot, actually. Yeah, I think think that's such good advice. And I think sometimes it's not even 24 hours. It could be like maybe getting through the next hour or something. Yes. It's just bite-sized, manageable chunks of things you can Mm. cope with and not thinking too far ahead because you just can't control what's going to happen. No, no. I know it was very raw for a long time. Is it still Mm. raw now? I remember you, one really interesting thing you said to me when we've spoken previously is that both you and Stuart have had to accept that you'll probably never fully understand what the other one went through. And I think that's, it's such a good way of explaining it because you've both lived this event in quite different ways. Um, is, Is it still very raw? How are you now? No, we're we're moving on. We're we're healing, and we're we're learning to live our new life. Can't say like life's gone back to normal because it's not normal. You know, nothing's normal. It's it's our new normal. Yeah, yeah. We 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 talk about things a lot. The children still talk about things and you know ask questions. 
you've still got appointments and things that come in and obviously having the ICD fitted you have a daily reminder of that mm. that box that yeah. sits on the side of his chest you know just under his arm and yeah it took me a long time to look at it actually and and touch it because he's like I'll feel it and I was like I don't, yeah. I don't want to yeah. like you know and he's got a, um, a a machine by the side of his bed as well. And every Monday it flashes and he's got to send his readings through mm-hmm. to like Kings or, you know. Yeah, so that, that, that takes a bit of time to get used to that. Yeah. At first I was like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't even want that machine in our house. But now I'm like, oh, okay, you know, we, we've learned to live with, with yeah. it. And yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's yeah. a very visual reminder that things are different. You are in a new chapter, but also that yeah. I guess taking time to come to terms with things. Yeah, it does. It takes it takes time. Time's yeah. a great healer. Um, you don't think that at first. And I remember people saying to me, "You know, you'll be okay. Things will work out." And I was thinking, "How do you know? You yeah, know, you, you haven't been through any of this. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you can't just switch off and think, oh, 'Oh, it'll be okay.'" Yeah, people are very well-meaning, aren't they? They say yeah. things, I think, but and it is it does all come from a really good place. But on a of bad course, on a bad yeah. day, when you're yeah. living through that nightmare, and someone's saying to you, maybe, "Oh, he's home from hospital now, so it'll be fine," and you're thinking, "Yeah, well, actually, this is in many it's ways worse. the hardest yeah. part." So, how is Stuart doing now? I know he's sort of back in the gym. He's um he's really working on his healthy eating and exercise, and he's in a good place. Is that? Yeah, yeah, he's doing really well. He um, so we had an appointment quite recently for his sort of follow up, and they're really pleased. They said because of what happened and the way it happened, they won't sign him off. They'll see him again, and then I think they'll wait another year, and then they'll think about signing him off, and then he'll just have the checkups with the ICD clinic. Mm-hmm. So that would be brilliant. Yeah, it's sort of a step in the right direction, and we 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 came out because we obviously had to go to Kings for the follow up appointments, mm-hmm. and that's hard because we go in there and I'm like, oh, I don't want to, don't ever want to set foot in this hospital ever again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we came out of came out of the appointment, and we both looked at each other, and he was like, oh, that's really good, that was really mm-hmm. good, and oh, like, so good. you know, gave me a hug and that, and we were like, yeah, you know, brilliant, you know, we've had some positive news, yeah. they're happy with you, yeah. Look and, how far we've come. And sort of came out of there, and yeah, he's he's processing it. I think a bit more now because he at first I think really shut down and didn't want to acknowledge anything. Yeah. Now he, you know, he asks questions yeah. even now because he he's, has memory loss probably from those first probably a good five days yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Where you know, and he'll ask things, and I'll just I feel like I've told him the same story a hundred times, but for him it's fresh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So. Yeah, but no, he's, he's really good. and That's so good. Yeah, to it's nice to see. The BHF's life-saving research is giving hope to so many people. If you would like to support our work, please consider a donation by going to bhf.org.uk forward slash donate pod. He said that he doesn't think he could have been as strong as you had to be. How mm. how do you react to that? Your husband saying that? Yeah, I don't know really because he he the funny thing with Stuart is is he wouldn't tell me that face to face. Yeah, he but he he he'll tell everyone else and and not tell me. But that's just a typical Stuart way. But he did write me um, a lovely oh. like thank you card, expressing everything. Um, and and I know how grateful he is. You know, 
for what's happened and he doesn't have to be grateful for me because he'd do exactly the same if if the tables were turned and you know again sometimes I remember thinking oh it'd be so much easier if it was me it happened to you know and everyone's like you don't think silly things like that but again you go to silly places at those times and, and think silly things but um no, we, we, we both, we did it together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how do you think you've both changed as people? I know that you really appreciate, really, really value the time you have yeah. as a family now. And yeah. And it's sort of changed your priorities as to not worry about the small things. Definitely, yeah. I'm I'm a bit of a cleaning freak and like everything tidying in its place. And I've learned now that actually it doesn't matter. Mm. It really doesn't matter. You know, I, I'll get around to doing those things at a later date. What's more important is I go and listen to what Jude was telling me about his day or mm. say, do you want to show me something on the iPad? Or And, yeah. and, and I will. I, I'm, I'll make a, make a real point of doing that because they're only children for such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we're always going to be busy. That's uh-huh. just life. And Stuart is is the same, really. I mean, the kids obviously still annoy him and he still tells them off and there's niggles and things, but he's less, I wouldn't say stressed is the right word. He's just, he just seems like a different man to me. You know, yeah. last night I, I was in the at the kitchen sink looking out the window and there's him and Jude in the back garden kicking the ball around. He'd been at work he had a, a late one yesterday, hadn't had any dinner, and he went straight in the garden with Jude and kicked the ball around while I sorted his food out. And um, I thought it's, it's brilliant because that's what life's for, that. Well, you didn't, at one point you didn't know if he was going to be here to do that, so to see that must be such a lovely thing. Yeah, it is really nice seeing him. And he's so involved with, with his kids, you know, yeah. there is world. Yeah, that's brilliant. Just sort of last couple of questions. I wondered what your advice would be to someone who was in your position, you know, the loved one who is at home by their hospital bed, coping with everything, the, the person who becomes a carer overnight, really, when someone yeah, has a heart condition. What would your advice be to someone in that situation? I'd probably say accept any support you can, because there is a lot of people out there that want to help you, or, or yeah. friends or families. Don't ever be proud, too proud to ask for help. Yeah. Um, and also just take it slowly. Again, don't think too far ahead. Just focus on that, like we said, the next hour or the next 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And just try not to put any pressure on yourself. You've just got to think about what's right for you and what's right for your family member. And a, a, another really important thing I think I realised as well is that if you don't look after yourself, then you can't look after who you're looking after and Uh I remember I sometimes just needed to escape so I'd go out for a run and I'd probably run and cry but I just had to let it all out and then come back and then I I felt I could I could do this I could carry on I could put a smile on for the kids and pretend everything was going to be okay for them Um, even if I knew inside I was scared and I didn't know if it would be it's really important. You do have to look after yourself and you, you put mm. yourself last in that situation. But as you say, yeah, yeah. you can't spin the plates if you... Um, if you break yeah. down yourself, yeah. You, yeah, I mean, exactly. yeah. Even something silly, like have a hot bath, go away from everyone, go and sit quietly and have a coffee somewhere. Yeah, whatever you need to do to just kind yeah. of get, get through. Um, and just finally, how has the BHF would you say or has it been able to support your family and what more do you think we can do as a charity to support families who've been through similar experiences to yours 
I think there needs to be a bit more support for children, mm-hmm. as in when a parent or a family member has a condition or surgery. I really struggled to find anything age appropriate for the children. Mm-hmm. Yes, I could go and look online and mm-hmm. find things, but a lot of it, I didn't want them to see really complex or images of surgery. I needed something really child friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's lots of resources for the child having heart surgery. Yeah, but there was nothing. F- you know, for mummy or daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the British Heart Foundation, it's been great, the aftercare of, of being able to talk to people. And I did ring as well when Stuart was in hospital mm-hmm. because I want, I couldn't find everything. Like I, There was so much information online yeah. that I didn't, I didn't know what was correct and what wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I rang their helpline and they were lovely. And I spoke to someone on the phone and I remember breaking down and she was like, oh, I'm going to pass you to somebody out. I'm going to pass you to someone like um, a specialist nurse. And said so, so that helpline was great. Oh, you know, it was good to, just to ring someone who wasn't, who wasn't in my family or, mm. you know, I couldn't, I couldn't break down to um, Stuart's family because they were worried, you know, they, they'd got their worries about Stuart. And if I broke down to my family, they'd be worried about me then. Mm. So someone completely away from the situation, it was brilliant to, to, to have that. Oh, that's really good to know. And just like, and like you say as well, obviously sharing your story will be a help to other people. I hope it does, even if it can just help one person. Yeah, just to see, oh, actually, there's this horrible thing that's happened and, and they've been OK at the end of it. So, yeah, I hope I can, I can help someone. Yeah, well, it it will. I mean, it's, it, you know, by just talking about these things, I think it does help because mm. it's just shining a light on things that we should be talking about more. And obviously, yeah. you know, your experience as a wife, as a carer of someone going through someone awful, so many people live through that, but mm. it isn't, it isn't, probably isn't spoken about enough. So thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time today and thank you for appearing on the Ticker Tapes. Oh, no, thank you. The BHF is continually working to improve people's chances of surviving an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. They can happen to anyone at any time, no matter what your age or background, and currently the survival rate is less than 10%. Early CPR and defibrillation can double the chances of surviving such a cardiac arrest And with the charity's free interactive online training course, Reviver, you could learn CPR in just 15 minutes and potentially save someone's life. You'll find more information at reviver.bhf.org.uk. The BHF is also committed to supporting all those impacted by heart health. And you can access help via our website or by calling the Heart Helpline. We've included some relevant links in the notes for this episode. If you've got any questions or concerns about your heart or circulatory health and would find it helpful to speak with a cardiac nurse on the BHF's Heart Helpline, go to our website at bhf.org.uk slash hearthelpline where you'll find all the contact options. You'll also find useful info in the episode notes and on our website bhf.org.uk. And if you've got your own heart story or have any thoughts on this episode, please get in touch with us by emailing theTickerTapes at bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes. <laughs> <laughs>